Welcome to Only Planners in the Building, a podcast by the Illinois Chapter of the American Planning Association. This podcast is a chance for us, the planners, designers, communicators, and collaborators in this wonderful state of Illinois to connect with one another. Let's talk about the wins, the not quite wins, and the lessons we learn along the way that bring us all closer together and help us be better at the jobs we do. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the Only Planners in the Building podcast. I'm your host, Andy Cross. The fall 2023 window for the AICP exam is around the corner, so I wanted to have an episode focused on the exam, what it means to planners, how they prepared for it, and what their experiences were in sitting for the exam. These are broad topics and different in a lot of ways for different people. So instead of interviewing just one Illinois planner, I invited four colleagues to sit down for a roundtable discussion. Michael Blue, FAICP, a principal at Tesca and Associates. Mercy Davison, AICP, a town planner for the town of Normal, Illinois. Phil Green, AICP, transportation and long-range planner for the village of Hoffman Estates. And Gabby Mattingly, AICP, project manager for the city of Naperville. This group brings great perspectives. Michael is a fellow of the Institute and took the exam back in the old number two pencil days. Mercy is a mid-career planner whose unique background impacted her testing experience. And Gabby and Phil are newer in the field and just took the exam recently. So whether you're thinking about sitting for the AICP exam, or if you've already run the gauntlet and have your certification, you'll enjoy this discussion relating to stories similar to your own, or getting some great thoughts on preparation, planning, and studying. So sit back and enjoy. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. I'm so pleased to welcome you all to the first panel discussion here on the Only Planners in the Building podcast to talk about the AICP exam. It's a big part of many planners' careers, and having studied and stressed and sat through it myself, I look forward to talking about it with all of you. So let's start by going around the table and introducing ourselves and give us a bit about your background and where you're doing now. Michael. Hello, uh, I'm Michael Blue. I'm a principal consultant with Tesca Associates in Evanston, Illinois, doing all sorts of planning, consulting stuff, and um, having a lot of fun doing it. Um, I have also worked for municipalities. I worked for the City of Highland Park for 10, 11 years. I worked for the Village of Mount Prospect, um, and I am a proud graduate of the planning program at the University of Illinois. A degree so nice, I got them twice. Mercy. Hi, I'm Mercy Davison. I'm the planner for the town of Normal. Um, I've been with the town for about 22 years. I started as one of the town attorneys. Um, I don't actually have a degree in planning, uh, but as the attorney, I was doing a lot of planning related activities and became the planner in 2003, which means I've been the planner for 20 years. Wow, that's so interesting. Gabby. Hello, everyone. I am Gabby Mattingly, the project manager for the city of Naperville. I've been with Naperville for almost seven years now, um, and I, like Michael, received my degree from U of I 
Urbana Champagne. Very nice. And Mr. Phil Green. Hi, everyone. Uh, Phil Green. I'm the transportation and long range planner at the Village of Huffington Estates, where I've been for about 18 months now, a little bit of transportation, a little bit of everything else. Uh, and before that, I was the village planner for Woodridge for about three years. Uh, and I got my master's in uh, town and regional planning uh, from the University of Liverpool back in my old hometown. That's awesome. And so just so everybody is clear, do you all have the AICP certification? Yes, I do. Yes, Yes, indeed. <laughs> that's great. Well, uh, that's why I uh, asked you all to be a part of this. Um, so let's uh, let's just start by telling us about your experience of sitting for the exam. It's my feeling that there are a lot of resources out there, and we'll talk about that more uh, kind of in the outro about how to study for the exam and some resources out there for that, study groups and that sort of thing. So it's really about our experiences with it and, uh, you know, our views on it and how it's impacted our careers that I want to talk about us, uh, about today. So, yeah, Michael, uh, you tested for the exam. Um, I don't remember, but uh, tell us, you know, when you sharpened your quill and filled your inkwell, uh, how did it go? Yeah, we studied out of something called books uh, oh. when we uh, prepared for the exam. Um, yeah, I took it like in, I don't know, it must've been late eighties or so. So yeah, it's been a long time, but, um, it, it actually, what worked really well was there were a bunch of us that were taking the exam at the same time. And we, um, we got organized. We started ourselves a little study group. There were like five of us. And, um, they basically at that time used to tell you, go get the books that you didn't sell back at college from school, from planning school. Um, and read these chapters in what we used to refer to as the green book. Some of you might still have one sitting around. Um, and so there was some direction from, from AICP in terms of what sections of what books were most uh, most effective and were going to be on the exam. So we we set up a group. We had a committee. We were all together. We were like, I was going to read one chapter and take notes and somebody else was doing it. I thought we should all get FAICP just because we turned it into such an ordeal and made committees out of everything. But um, yeah, it was kind of basically the, the self-study and um and finding partners which helped and then it was um it was it was sitting for the exam and yeah yeah it was done with a quill and um a tablet um the thing that was really aggravating about it i will tell you is that it took them i mean it was the same 150 question multiple choice test um but it took them six weeks to grade it and send it away well you you went to a testing center some (laughs) office somewhere right and you took the exam and everybody I know who finished the exam had no idea whether or not they passed or failed, oh, right? No. Like, remember, we all remembered in college, like, oh, I got it, or oh, I blew it. Yeah. Everybody I ever talked to had no idea whether or not they passed or not. They were kind of going, well, I'm not sure. And then you had to wait six weeks, and then they sent you like just a thing in the mail, and it gave you your score, right? It and it just said, your score was 55. Like, oh no. And then like you needed a 50 to pass or something like that. It, it was the weird, it was just, it was all quite random. But um, yeah, I, it was it was all about sitting for that test. Okay, that's wonderful. And by contrast, Gabby, you took it most recently. Uh, tell yes. us about your experience. And Phil, you are also quite similarly. So yeah, I'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah, so I took um, the exam May of 2022. And at that point, Um, That was actually the first round. They had 
re looked into um, the topics for the exam and they told us in December of 2021, after I had already you know, identified, yes, I'm gonna sit for the May exam, that there'd be some changes on this exam and that actually similar to Michael, we would not receive our results at the end of the exam. So I was kind of a little bit um, surprised by that and also not typical. Um, they, we were told we were a little bit of the guinea pigs and that uh, they would kind of evaluate how this new format worked and how the new topics worked. So, which that was a little bit nerve wracking going into it. And um, my exam, when I registered, um, the closest testing exam was in Mishawaka, Indiana. So I had to take myself on a little road trip um, to go over there. And of course they did offer, and this is something that testees can look into, um, is that to, you can take the exam at home. I think they're still offering that. Um, but I decided to go on this road trip. You know, I, I got to the testing site. I left my emotional support candy in the car. <laughs> um, when in the testing site, um, they give you these like massive headphones that you put on that are supposed to um, reduce any noise. And I sat down and take the, took the exam. And when I um, stood up after the exam, I was the only person left in the room. Everyone else had already finished and were gone. And uh, so I kind of looked around and I said, what, <laughs> like a nightmare. what am I still doing here? But um, so at any rate, um, it definitely is, can be a nerve wracking experience. Um, and if you are ready and willing and, and um, want to re register for the exam and take it, I think you give kudos to yourself because it is definitely a huge undertaking. It can be stressful, um, but it, it's, it's well worth it. That's awesome. Phil, did you have to drive to Indiana? Uh, no, I, I actually owe Gabby a great debt of thanks because I took my exam uh, in November of 2022. Uh, and so Gabby and her team had already ironed out all the kinks on my behalf. So um, we got the instant results. We got to go to downtown Chicago on the train uh, so I could sip my coffee in peace uh, on the way down. And yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I think we kind of, you know, you, you join these forums, you speak to people who've, who've done it recently, you know that there are changes. The only kind of like little kink for us was just not knowing until a little bit closer to the exam date, which version of the code of ethics they were going to use, because obviously we just adopted the newer code of ethics. Interesting. And so there was some material that said use the new one. There was some communications that said use the old one. Uh, and it took a little bit of time for us to get like a specific answer that was still using the old one for my testing cycle. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I was really glad to get to go downtown because I had, I had heard the horror stories of having to uh, drag a webcam all around your room for the at-home testing so that you can prove that you're not cheating. And I'm not oh. interested in cleaning up my home office just so that some no. uh, person can uh, can check up on me for notes. Oy. Uh, Mercy, any, uh, you know, any good stories? Well, I, I'm definitely the generation of the number two pencil filling mm -hmm. the old test taking. So for me, uh, I, but, but this was right when all that was changing. And so I had to drive over to Peoria, which wasn't a big deal, but it was a little weird to take 
what felt like a momentous test in essentially a strip mall, right? It's yes. like went in yes. and like there were just, you know, computers and little cubbies that you sat in and like nobody else was there taking the test. I don't think, I think they, people were taking other tests mm -hmm. maybe like it was just a testing center. It seemed so wrong to me that I called like twice to be like, it's just like a random testing center. Like it's not just set aside for the AICP, like, come on. Um, so it was, it was fine. Um, but you know, you don't get the camaraderie of coming out of the test, like Michael was saying, and like, looking around and saying, oh my gosh, what did you do with that essay question? Or how, how did you answer such and such? And, you know, I'd taken the bar exam before, which was exactly that experience where you left the test and everyone wanted to just like lay down in front of the, you know, a bus together. Yeah. But um, it was, it was a little, it was a little different because it was in the, the testing center, but it, it went fine. I mean, you know, if we talk about prepping for the test later, I mean, I, I can tell you how I did that too, but yeah, but yeah sure. taking the test in the center was, underwhelming as a test taking experience i will say um yeah i had a similar experience i went to a testing center downtown and there were people taking myriad other tests there uh, and so it was a very eclectic group of people in there and they were getting up and going because they were done faster with whatever exam they were taking and that just makes you nervous you're like oh i should be done too um and then uh, i got my score at the end and i you know began the exam knowing uh what i needed to get and by the end, I was so brain dead. I was like, oh. And so I just stared at the numbers. I think I wrote them down and looked at them later. Like, okay. Whew, okay. But I was just, it was, uh, yeah, it was a, a stressful event. Um, well, Mercy, we, you know, you'd, you'd been through some big exams before as part of your career in law. What motivated you to take this one? Well, I, you know, I, here I am in the planning profession. My degree from my undergrad was journalism. And then I had a political science master's degree um, and went to law school kind of unexpectedly. And so, and then ended up being a planner completely unexpectedly. So my whole life just kind of happened to me. <laughs> but, and I realized once I started really getting into the planning profession that you know, there was this thing called the AICP. And I, I have to say, like, in some ways, I wanted to prove to myself that I kind of knew what I was doing. Um, and, and it was really validating for myself. I don't think like my employer wasn't putting any pressure on me whatsoever. Like they felt like I was doing a fine job. Um, and so really, it was really for my own personal, uh, not satisfaction, but really just kind of a confidence um, booster, mm -hmm. a little bit of reinforcement. And also I was really curious as to what I had missed in all the schooling that my colleagues had done. Uh, so, um, it was, I was really studying for this, like somebody who had never taken a class in planning except for like a land use law class. So there was that, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, so my experience might be a little different than the others on this call. Well, let's find out. Uh, Phil, you know, you have a, a wonderfully interesting background coming here from overseas and, uh, and establishing a career. So as you worked in your career and, you know, met and were, talked to other planners in the area, what motivated you to say, I, this is something I should do. I need to do this. Yeah, I, I think similar to Mercy, what, but maybe with a, a slight twist, right? It was the kind of trying to shut up the uh, imposter syndrome in my head of like, okay, once I have this, I am an American planner, right? Like I am, I am official. I am justified. I am real. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the 
state of Illinois planning uh, profession is about to get a huge insight into my various neuroses, right? But, uh, you know, I think that was definitely one of them was just that feeling of, of security that I could speak confidently knowing that I had proof that I know what I'm talking about. The other part is just very personal, like I'm super type A. Like if something is available, I'm going to do it. It just, there was never a question to me that I was going to do it. And, and I think part of that is obviously back in the UK, we have the RTPI, Royal Town Planning Institute. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, I'm on the membership committee for APA Illinois and we're constantly like, how do we make sure students join? And how do we make students want to be members? The RTBI does not give you a choice. You walk into class one day, they're standing there and they just like go down the line and sign everyone up. You have zero option as to whether you're going to be a member or not. Interesting. Um, and so, you know, they have their whole program of, of chartership and everything else. And so coming from that system where it was just like, this is your career. And there are, there are like boundaries in the UK that if you don't pass that certification, you won't get to a certain level of promotion. You won't be allowed to deal with a certain level of case because you don't have the credentials to speak on it. Your, your, your testimony during cases is given additional weight if you have that. And I know it's different over here, but coming in with that mindset of like, this will solidify me and strengthen my position as a professional. It, it was just a no brainer. Wow. That's yeah, that's, that's great input. Um, so yeah, Michael, back in the uh, early forties, what motivated you to take the exam? Uh, they gave you an Edsel if you pass. <laughs> so I couldn't say no. <laughs> Um, you know, it was, it was, it was a few things. First, first of all, was, was in school at, at U of I was Professor Clyde Forrest, who taught the land use law class. And he was epic and terrifying and kind and wonderful. And he was very involved with Illinois APA for a lot of years. And Clyde just sort of drilled into us, um, thou shalt be a planner, thou shalt take the AICP, and thou shalt be an AICP planner. So we, you know, those of us who were in Clyde's classes like that were like, oh, okay, well, this is what you do. And, and so, you know, kind of, kind of like Phil was saying, it was, was just never really much of a doubt. Um, The other reason was that uh, when I started out of school, I was a consultant and there was some value to a credential very specifically in terms of if you were giving uh, expert testimony as part of a court case uh, or if you were submitting a proposal to a project, but but primarily the expert testimony, um, it it helped certify you as an expert. I mean, it literally did just what it what it was. And you know, I, I did a a zoning hearing at the city of Chicago, and they said, "Are you an expert?" And I said, "I'm AICP." And they went, "All right, check the box." You know, so it's it's the credential that sets you aside. It, it absolutely does. Um, and the, the third thing was the thing that kind of got under my skin was that when I started working and started collecting business cards from people, I couldn't help but notice how many different professions had planning or planner listed on their business cards. Absolutely. Right. And and with all due respect to our colleagues who are engineers and architects and, and attorneys, um, you know, when they say they do planning and it says planning on their business card, um, that's not what we all do. We all do something different and we add value differently than that. And um, without being judgmental about it, although I am, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it, it really sets us aside from those um, who are doing planning, who are not trained as 
practicing planners. And like Mercy's example is great. You know, she took everything that she knew and turned it into being a planner, mm-hmm. right? And passed the exam and really has been, you know, a planner in great standing in Illinois for a long, a long time, right? But, you know, when, when an architect or an engineer says they do planning, um, they do a version of planning, but it's not what we do. And, and I think that's the most important part of the exam and the letters next to your name is to distinguish you as, as a planner. And if you like what we do and you're proud of what we do, then yeah, you should, you should have AICP after your name. Yeah. Uh, those are great thoughts. Great thoughts. Uh, Gabby, anything you want to jump in and add about why you wanted to, uh, why you wanted to do it? Yeah. Um, I, I agree with um, Phil and Mercy and Michael here. I definitely think this was a personal goal of mine and something I viewed as kind of like the next step in your career. Um, And I also think having the AICP certification does make you stand out as a candidate um, to employers. Um, It does give you the leg up before you even walk into the room and have that conversation of looking at um, any potential employment. So I, I think that was also a factor for me as well. Um, and I, I think it's just, like I said, the next step in your career. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, we get our graduate degrees and work so hard on that. We get that first job. And then after four, five years, however long it is, you're like, okay, you know, what's next? And you work under all these mentors and directors and managers who have the certification and it, uh, you know, the path can, uh, can lay itself out. So here's something that I think will be of interest to a lot of people. And uh, as the chapter's professional development officer right now, their PDO, uh, I have the opportunity to help a lot of uh, young planners out with preparation. Um, and so I think uh, I think it will be really helpful to get some thoughts from you guys about how you did prepare. So Gabby, you took it most, well, Phil, you took it after her, but Gabby, I'd love to hear from you first about uh, about how you laid out a study plan. Maybe you got together with a study group. How did you get, you know, a syllabus for yourself, note cards. I did that. I had a stack of note cards. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you prepared for the AICP exam last year. Yeah, so I think the first step I took was just to get, um, get my thoughts and get situated on what steps you need to take before you even register. And then when you do register, when those exam windows are um, and kind of get an understanding of what's required um, for registration. So kind of getting a feel for that, orient yourself, spend some time on the website, um, the planning.org website. And um, um, once you're (laughs) feeling like you can have a thorough understanding of like the um, steps you need to take, you know, write down the deadline to register, um, and look at through those exam windows as well. So once you've gathered gathered all that information and have a thorough understanding of that, um, then I think set up set yourself up for success. I provided myself five months before sitting for the exam, wow. um, and and went yeah I I wanted to make sure that I wasn't feeling um, stressed or feeling like I was cramming for it. So I ended up kind of putting together. Um, a plan in terms of hours of time I would spend each week um, spending studying. So maybe, you know, for the first month I spent two hours um, throughout the week studying. And then that weekend I would spend maybe four hours. And then 
increased that amount of time of studying as I got closer to the exam. So I think that really helped me not only prepare in terms of learning the materials, but also feeling like I was kind of reorienting myself with how to take an exam because I I had kind of lost that. Absolutely. Uh, like how you sit for an exam and uh, mentally being prepared to sit for four plus hours or however long you end up spending taking that exam. I mean, that since being out of um, school, you kind of lose that feeling. So, you know, make a, make a plan for how long you want to study each week. And then that will definitely help you to prepare. And then um, I also, if you're comfortable doing so, I think it's really great if you share with your employer that um, you're going to be taking the exam because I, I do think that they're a great resource for you and they may have um, some, um, they may be able to network network you with people. Um, they may have resources for you as well. So if you're comfortable with sharing that, that's they might be a great um, person to talk to about it. And then when you're also studying, I there's so much information out there that you can use. But um, I ended up using Plan Edison, um, and they have a pretty good program you can purchase, um, and it does help you learn about each um, category of the test. Um, and it does, it almost is like a course for the exam. So because I wanted to spend quite a lot of time studying the information, um, that really helped me um, know what to study each week, what to focus on. Um, and then they also had practice exams. And I know there's a lot of other material out there and um, exam courses that have practice exams. Use those. Those are great. You know, set yourself up to have a couple of days where you're taking a fake exam um, and you're pretending as if this is the real thing. So setting aside that time and going through that, I think is really a key um, element to succeeding in the exam. Wow. Great thoughts. I can't believe how organized you were, Gabby. My God. I mean, I thought I studied. I'm not more. organized most of the time. <laughs> <God>. so. <laughs> Unreal. Uh, well, Phil, as the uh, also a very recent test taker, uh, can you walk us through kind of how you prepared for it, how you approached it, and some of your takeaways that you think might help young planners uh, considering sitting for the exam now? I can, and I, I have a lot of thoughts on this one, so I feel sorry for whoever has to edit this down. I uh, tried to do everything that Gabby did, uh, and what I kind of learned about myself was that I'm really good at procrastinating. Uh, and I spent such a great time setting up this whole online environment with study timetables. Like I, I had it all kind of automated and I just spent hours upon hours building this tool uh, in a program called Notion, if anyone's familiar with that. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is so good. And then I was like, okay, but have I actually studied anything? No, <laughs> it just looks great. Looks like I'm about to do really well. Right? We're really ready to study. Really, I'm really, so ready to really study. ready. So ready. Um, you know, I, I think I kind of, it almost goes back into my, my last answer a little bit. I think that I psyched myself out a little bit, frankly, kind of coming in as the without that American education, because the AICP kind of assumes a lot of knowledge, right? Uh, it kind of assumes a certain background. It assumes a certain comfort level, especially as it pertains to like history of planning, legal cases, things like that. Like even a lot of the resources that we find 
uh, a lot of kind of like I, I did plant medicine as well, just like Gabby, and, and it was great. But you know, you're kind of watching videos, and it's like as you'll remember from planning school. Yeah. I'm like, nope, nope, sure don't. I, don't I was busy learning all. about. Yeah, I was learning about the green belt and garden villages. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of psyched myself out a little bit and I fell into a trap of putting way too much emphasis on those sections. So I kind of really dragged myself over hot coals when it came to history, when it came to law. Uh, and someone kind of shook me out of that. It was like a comment in a forum or something. It was like, it's really easy to do that. Like, it's so easy to get really into the fact-based memorization part of the AICP, but especially with the new testing, uh, I'm sure Gabby had a similar experience as I did. They, they definitely de-emphasize that. And there's a lot more emphasis now on situational-based awareness. There's a lot more emphasis now on here's some examples. Like, I remember it was kind of one question that started out about outdoor dining, but we kind of stuck with that example for about seven or eight questions. And it just kind of was very multifaceted around planning for this downtown. It started out as a seemingly simple question about uh, outdoor dining and very quickly we're getting into traffic analysis, business retention, all this kind of stuff focused on this one uh, scenario that they gave us, which was great for me because that's how my mind works. Um, in terms of what actually worked for me, honestly, it ended up being pretty simple. I, I think coming in without that U.S. history, I just found a college textbook and I just read it cover to cover. I just read it, highlighted it, didn't put any pressure on myself to take anything away from it other than general themes and feeling like I had a grounding in the subject. Yeah. Uh, and that really, really put me at ease. Uh, and then from there, it was those deep dives, right? Using the Planet Edison course to kind of like catch up knowledge where I felt like I needed it, uh, finding video resources where it made sense. Um, you know, I gave myself 12 months because I am a very anxious individual when it comes My to My God, man. A year? It is way too much time, and I am not making that as a recommendation. But that is what I did. Um, wow. Because I just, yeah, I really saw myself short that I was coming in with, nothing which just it isn't true if you've been working in this job for 12 months oh. you're coming in with more than you need um but uh echoing gabby's thoughts like get your employer on board because i actually had a co-worker and we sat at the same time like we coordinated we went to the same exam at the exact same time same location we got to train together and in the months leading up we scheduled an hour every Wednesday in a conference room at work and we just helped each other. And that was so, so helpful because I'm very, um, one of the things that calms me down about things is, is being able to visualize. So like if I'm going out to eat, you better believe I'm looking at the menu beforehand, right? Like I'm that kind of person. And so doing those mock exams, yeah, there was some knowledge that you picked up from those. But it was literally just so that by the time I came to sit the exam, I'd done it a hundred times. It wasn't an abnormal day for me anymore. It was just what I'd been doing every Thursday for the past couple of months. Like it was just another day. Uh, and I think that really helped. I, I would say don't do too much because you can super psych yourself out on these things. Like sure. I was watching videos up until the last time like i was like oh i've never seen this resource before let me cram this into my brain stupid the one thing that i will say that i did which 
is weird, but it worked for me, dang it. Um, those little fact-based pieces that you need to like memorize. I have a really long drive to work. I drive like an hour each way uh, for work. I, I have a, a, a decent commute. So I don't have, I can't read while I'm driving, but I can listen to podcasts. Uh, and so I recorded myself uh, saying the things that I needed to remember. Um, and I put those in a private podcast feed with stupid names that no one's ever going to find. Uh, and then I would play those back at double speed on my drive to work. And I don't know how, but it super worked for me. That's how I learned all the housing acts. That's how I learned some of the landmark legal cases was just listening to my own dumb voice over and over again. On Wow. That is, uh, that is admirable. So, uh, <clears throat> mercy. I'm, uh, I'm feeling a little insecure right now. Um, I mean, I studied hard, but listen to these kids, my God. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it was an intense, intense descriptions. And so, well, so, uh, so detailed and so well thought through. So I, when I took the exam, as I mentioned before, I had never taken a, a single class in planning. I had taken maybe like one or maybe two classes that related to land use law in law school. Um, I had sat for the bar successfully and I had taken many other standardized tests in my life. So I did approach it like, this is just like any other standardized test because frankly it is in a lot of ways, which is good if you're good at taking standardized tests. And if you have anxiety around taking standardized tests, you're probably going to run into the same kind of anxiety. And so that's where preparation, however you prepare best for a standardized test, then is going to be really important whatever makes you feel more at ease. And to Phil's point, I have found with all the standardized tests I've ever taken, as much as you really need to know the content, you really just have to be comfortable with the test. So taking six, 10 practice tests might be the most helpful thing you can do. Um, But but you do have to know the content. And because I had zero class experience with with planning, I really didn't know the content. Like as far as I, I, I knew, I generally knew who Jane Adams, uh, Jane Jacob, Jane Adams. Oh, for Pete's sakes. Anyway, so like I had to learn stuff. I had to actually cram in new facts, you know, which was fine. But but also to Phil's point, if you're taking the AICP, it means you've been working for at least some period of time. And so you have life experience. You have planner's life experience. You're going to be more prepared for this than you think. Um, mm-hmm. But you need to know the content. So you, you do have to study. I also use plan Edison, bada bing, bada boom. Like they told me what I needed to know. I knew it. I took the test, you know? So okay. yeah, it was, a, it was a fine experience. That's good. I, and mine was very analog. You know, I, I found, you know, Michael, you mentioned uh, school books. I, I dug out my storage case from grad school, found my green book. And there was a reading list back then. And yep. so I, I did read Image of the City, the only book I read cover to cover to uh, prepare for the exam. Uh, but it still sticks with me now. And it was all those years ago. Um, so, yeah, it was yeah, note cards. It, it, I just pulled out a lot of skills. I think, Gabby, you mentioned, you know, I sat for the exam seven years after I was done with graduate school. So all those skills were gone. Um, but I tried to dust them off and, uh, you know, used a lot of legal pads and note cards that were themed by color. You know, that whole all those old tricks. Uh, that's how I, uh, you know, and and I studied hard. I could still find the the library, it, uh, the table in the library here in uh, in was in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where I live, where I studied. So there was a lot that went into that. 
Uh, Michael, I know uh, it's, you know, looking back a little ways, but uh, I'd love to hear about uh, how you prepared for the exam. Um, you know, did you meet Daniel Burnham, bring him out for lunch so you could talk about planning principles? Um, yeah, yeah, he's pretty inaccessible as a, as people. That's what I've heard. That's his rep, actually. That's his rep. Others. Um, no, so uh, what you mentioned, uh, reading lists, you know, they provided reading lists and you dug out the old books and, and you read through and. Um, we did. We focused on on the fact based stuff that you had to know that you wouldn't otherwise remember. Um, you know, other than that, the the test was going to be stuff you could noodle through, right? Like here's a site plan with a building on it that's set back. You know, you can kind of noodle through that. But um, so a lot of focus on the facts and figures that you couldn't. You're either going to know or not know. And I still remember after all these years, the question that I found in a book and they asked and I was thrilled was which during which decade did America become an urban rather than rural country? Anybody? Anybody? The 1920s. There you go. I mean, who cares, right? Yeah. But it was just one of those things that was in the reading list and you read it and thank heavens I found it in the reading list and 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 knew it. And the rest of the stuff um you know you just kind of noodled through. I you know I embarrassed to tell you, you know, or not, but um, yeah, before computers and plan Edison and whatnot, it actually worked really well to have other people to do this with. Okay. Um, there was, there was a lot of support um, in, in preparing for this with a group of other people, more than the help of like, you know, trying to divide up who would read what chapter and write notes for whatnot, just doing it with other people really, really um, saved a lot of the anxiety yeah. that that um that that phil and, and gabby were talking about um so you know if you can find somebody else to do this with or somebody to meet with once a week to go over i, I think that's really good um the other thing that i think is really good that it never really even occurred to me before that that everybody else has talked about is you got to kind of know yourself right and know how you're going to study and what you're going to do and um you know be be true to yourself and don't try and fool yourself that it's either going to be too easy or too hard or too what um, but but to know yourself and, and to go in and do it. Um, and uh, yeah, I know the rule of thumb was always take it as close to when you were in school as possible. Yeah. So that you don't have that test taking anxiety. Um, and I, I, you know, so and I know for a while, I don't know if I still do the the uh, the um, program where you can take the test right out of school and then be certified after you have the experience, um, which I think is an interesting idea because it, on the one hand, you're used to taking the test. I think the downside of that is you don't have the benefit that Phil says is if you've worked for a year, you can noodle through a lot of these other kind of situational questions. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think there's, there's a double-edged sword there. Yeah. Yeah. That's the uh, one path to AICP one process. Path. Thank you. Yeah. And it's uh, very much in effect and there's a very informative webpage on it on the APA's website uh, for those who might want to learn more about it. Now let's, uh, you know, I'll take this in a different direction from, you know, the exam mechanics itself, the sitting for it and preparing. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, this kind of geared towards uh, the practicing planners <clears throat> that have the certification because a key part of it is a commitment to ongoing education through the CM or certification maintenance program. And I view this as a way to ensure that we, uh, you know, the practicing planner have an opportunity to learn, and it's really even an obligation, you got to do it, uh, to learn about, uh, or learn from the experiences that uh, other planners have had, what they've encountered, the lessons they've learned, and get exposed to ideas and approaches that we might not have considered otherwise. So, you know, Michael, you've really seen, I think, a lot of changes, uh, you know, in expectations in the CM program uh, during your time with certification. What are your thoughts on uh, the certification maintenance? 
there was a time where there was no certification maintenance. When uh, do you know when it started by chance? Um, it's been about 20 years. And um, I think it was the early 2000s. But if that's a test question, I'm in trouble because I don't know for sure. Um, so, yeah, no, there was a time where um, you had the years of experience. You took the test and that was it. So what you said about, oh, isn't this a great idea that we'll meet with our colleagues and learn about what's going on in law and uh, equity and um, sustainability? What a great idea. Yeah, there was a time where none of that happened. So Um, you didn't have CM when you first got certification? No, there was no CM. And so, um, like I said, about 20 years ago, the uh, there was a there was a big there had been before, but there was a big push for um, what was what was officially referred to as mandatory continuing education. Isn't that just something you want to sign up for? Yeah. Um, and fun. so there were many years in APA leadership where there was discussion about mandatory continuing education, which then became this notion of certification maintenance. Um, and I think wisely, because it's more than about just learning. It's about what you had said, Andy, about meeting with colleagues and, and doing things and, and ways that we can meet our requirements under the code of ethics. Um, but there, there was a there was a lot, quite the kerfuffle about it. There was a lot of pushback against having certification maintenance um, because there were a lot of folks who said, I'm a practitioner and I know what I'm doing and I don't need to do this and I'm fine and we don't need. And um, the, it really, it was really kind of a factionalizing thing in, in APA and AICP that uh, a lot of people thought there didn't need to be certification maintenance. And there were a lot of people who said, uh, no, there needs to be certification maintenance because we need to stay current. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, everybody everybody else needs to continue to do education. And so, and it was a little bit generational, you know, as the folks that have been AICP for a long time or had been AIP at one point, you can look that one up, wow. um, who, you know, who didn't think that we needed to, to do continuing education. Um and uh, I, I was I was chapter president and CPC chair for a lot of while that was going on, and um, we pushed hard to get it. Okay, because a lot of the reasoning was going back to what I said before. If you want people to have respect for the profession, if mm-hmm. you want to have respect for yourself as part of the profession, um, you got to show that you are current and that you are keeping up with what's going on and you are respectful of the changes in our world and you are learning them and you are incorporating them into what you do. And how can you, you know, how can you ask people to think much of your profession if you're not willing to commit to staying current? Uh, and there were a lot of heated internal discussions and um, the the really? commission ultimately voted and the board ultimately voted to, to add it. Um, and it, it always, it always had um, the uh, law and ethics requirement. Okay. Um, hour and a half of each. And there was a period where, and I don't know if they still do this, Andy, you'll have to tell me where they had specialized certifications for urban design and transportation and a couple other things, um, which I think was just a bit of a bridge too far. I think they've dropped that since. But, um, you know, I, I think the changes that have been made recently to to broaden the the different areas of planning uh that uh, that you that we need to have credits in, I think is a great move. I think it really keeps us current and just makes us talk about things that we have to talk about. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's my contribution to the discussion. There was a, there was a time where there was no CM, believe it or not. That's uh, that's that's interesting, and I'm just I'm so not surprised to hear that it was controversial. Some people yeah. were like, "Balderdash, we're fine." Oh, you were at that meeting? Yeah. yeah. I was- it was a, it was an APA conference in Seattle. I remember sitting in the back of the room watching people basically do that. Like you know how you go to the we all go to board meetings and people say things and you're like, why would you say stuff like that? Like yeah. people were saying stuff like that about CM. It was it was weird. 
That's why I wasn't there, but I found an eight track recording of the, uh, of the, the transcription. So that was, uh, that's how I, from the original reel to reel. That's cool. <laughs> so mercy, you're no stranger to this. And, and uh, you know, as a, as somebody with a JD and, uh, having passed the, the Illinois board. So first do, are you still on the board? Do you still get CEs? CLEs. So, so yeah, interestingly, I maintain an inactive status through the Illinois bar because if I ever have to be a lawyer again, I never want to take the bar exam again. But when you're inactive, you don't have to get your CEs. And you know what? When people ask me if I'm a lawyer, I say no. I say I have a JD. Yep. I'm not an active attorney and I shouldn't tell people I am because I'm not current. And I, Mm. it is, it is kind of stunning that people would think in your profession that you wouldn't need to stay current in an accountable way. I mean, we're all so busy at our jobs that it would be super easy to not be current. I mean, you just do your job every day. Like I don't have, I don't have, I could easily not have time to, to read articles and to do things if I didn't have some accountability out there. So I love the CM program. I think it's great. I think the only criticism anyone could have would be that, it can add a lot of cost if you have to get all of your CM satisfied through expensive conferences, but it's not the case. The, yep. There are so many affordable or free ways to get your credits met, which is critical because there are many people whose employers do not cover the cost of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think there is zero downside to it. I think it's all upside. It makes me very proud of my profession and it feels very legitimate. So, so yeah, I'm a big cheerleader for it. I, I like to look at my points every year and be like, how close am I? Am I over? Ha. <laughs> well, I think you raised a couple of points. One is that, um, or one thing I want to talk about is how, when you look at uh, look at the CM program, it's very locally driven and, and, and very accessible. So you're not learning stuff on this high 10,000 foot level, you know, just the opposite. You're learning what somebody down in Joliet did. And, you know, and how that might actually translate to something you're working on. And the cost uh, isn't a barrier. Whereas in other professions, especially law, CEs are cripplingly expensive, uh, you know, if you don't have a firm to pay for it or partnership. Uh, So that's a real benefit we have. Um, And, you know, Michael, you touched on this, how these, uh, the CM program and, and the concept behind it is evolving. And I think that's something that's especially dynamic about our field. And it, I'm sure it ha- it's echoed in, in other you know, career paths as well. But, uh, you know, just new, uh, new last year are credit requirements for uh, e- equity and uh, equality, rather, and, uh, and, and sustainability and resilience. Um, and I think that just reflects the changing nature of our, of our jobs as planners and also just how broad a field it is. Uh, and, you know, to have not just a suggestion to keep up on that, but now it's a required part of our certification. So that's... Yeah, uh, that I would add, Andy, if I could, yeah. is that, you know, another way to get credits too is about um, volunteering and being part of the profession. And um, that is also something that was very controversial. There was uh, there were a lot of voices that didn't think that, you know, if you were on a, an APA committee or you did work, you, you volunteered for the chapter or you helped you know, review AICP, you know, there's a lot of things you can do as a volunteer in the organization. Um, and you can, you can take some of the credits for that, um, which I think is something that we don't often talk about a lot, but 
please do. You know, part of the ICP code of ethics is to give back to the profession, give back to the community. Uh, and the notion that there's CM credits available to do that, I think are very is very logical and very reasonable, right? It's part of what got away from the idea of it's not just about continuing education. It's about what are you doing as an individual uh, to, to give back to your community and your professional community. And the fact there's credits available for that, I, th I think is a great touch. And you're referring to the self-reported credits. Yes. And yes. I think we as planners can do six of those per reporting period, which is a substantial amount. It's uh, so they, it's, it's yeah, 20% of them. Uh, yeah. I think that's uh that's a great point. And, um, and I'll just follow up on, uh, on Mercy's note that, yeah, there are free resources out there. They get less local because you're often looking at podcasts from Ohio or uh, Maryland. Um, but uh, but the, the bottom line is the opportunities out there. Uh, and you can fit those into, uh, you know, they're on demand. So you can fit those into any, uh, you know, any schedule. So I think that it does break down barriers. So that's one good thing that the APA has done through this program is, you know, even though, uh, even though it's established and it was put as a requirement, it's achievable for planners at every level. Well, let's wind this down. I think this has been a wonderful discussion. So let's go around the table. Uh, we're fortunate to have a number of really great planning programs in the area and a really active community of students. And uh, and it's my hope that they can, uh, you know, that they can uh, really get some benefit out of some of our comments and our experiences that we've shared here. So we've uh, shared a lot already, but I'd love to hear a few words from each of you about the value of the certification or just general advice. Uh, you know, just anything that comes to mind about that, you, that if you could go back to the, the grad school you, what would you tell them? Phil? Oh, I think, I think it's kind of a, a good segue because mine is actually related to the CM program, uh, which is don't wait until you're AICP to start doing that. You can't log them. They don't count for you, but get into the habit of finding opportunities because A, there is no greater value than the people that you're going to meet by going to these events. Like when I first came to the country, didn't have a job in planning. I was working retail selling TVs out of a Best Buy. And you better believe that I was going to the bar exam uh, with Ansel Plink and learning and meeting people uh, because I think nothing sounds more terrifying than going from no professional development to studying for the test to, oh my God, now I got to get 16 hours every year, right? Like just get into that habit and it's going to help you. It's going to get you in that mindset of thinking like an AICP planner. You don't have to be you don't have to wait uh to start going to these things watching these webinars and just training your brain to keep working on yourself what a great thought mercy you next well i guess uh, i feel like we've covered a lot already mm -hmm. um i think in contrast to the other folks on this uh, podcast i'm the one with the least experience with an academic background in planning and also did not work with anybody when I studied for the exam. Okay. I was total solo because of just my life at the time. So I guess for those of you who are in that situation where you just really don't have the ability to buddy up with anybody, you can totally do it. You, you can do it. So that's my word of encouragement. Great thought. Great thought. Gabby, what would you tell somebody if you ran them across the street? Like, oh my gosh, if I got something to tell you. Well, I would tell them that I, I think for the exam, there there's definitely, you're going to feel overwhelmed by the amount of resources there are, the amount of 
like categories the exam covers. There's lots of things to think about. And just keep in mind, you're not going to know every question on the exam. You're not going to know every answer. Try to stick to the topics. Try to stick to the overall themes. Um, and, and don't try. It's easy to get bogged down and um, feel overwhelmed by all of those things that you need to learn and cram for it. Try to just stick to the overarching themes of the exam. That will help you so much. And, you know, like Michael said, know yourself. If you're not good with doing math or calculations, try to answer them during the exam and then mark that question and go back to it. Double check your work with that math. If that's not something that you're feeling strong about, um, you know, that is something that could really help you. And um, I, I think there's also, um, like Mike, like uh, Phil said, I think there's also just a lot of people that you can connect with that will help you through this. So you're not alone. Um, and using your network is such a great way to set yourself up for this exam. That's awesome. And Michael, you've already spent time back teaching at UIC. Uh, so let's jump back to you in a classroom. What do you want to tell them quick, you know, 30 seconds before the bell's going? Hey, guys, no, wait. Uh, meet you at Trinos. No. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the thing we haven't talked about that I would that I would emphasize, that I, don't, I don't think I thought about much, is, you know, there's an AICP code of ethics. And there are there are general principles to which we aspire as planners that apply to plant commissioners and everybody else. But there's a very specific AICP code of ethics. And uh, I think that speaks a lot about the profession. Um, you know, it, we don't we help people make policy. Right. We don't um, give legal advice. We don't help people build bridges. Uh, you know, so the 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 things that we we provide are just sage wisdom at a, at a commission meeting. Right. Um, but we do it all under this code of ethics. And the thing that's interesting about the code of ethics is it's not about, you know, somebody comes to you and offers you $10,000 to help them get an approval for a zoning case. What do you do? Well, duh, right? But there's there's so much nuance to it that we run across all the time. And um, I think I would have told myself that, you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot of little things and a lot of little questions there's a lot of everyday questions especially as a municipal planner that you come up to and um, you got to always think about what's the right way to do something right and um, you know I think that's that's the maybe the most interesting thing to me about about AICP is that code of ethics and uh, we all know how to think like a planner we either learn that by what we do or learned it in school and then got better at it being in the, in the profession. Um, but there's a code of ethics. There's a right way to act as a certified planner. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's what I would have told myself. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's a, that's a great point. And we could have a wonderful discussion about that. And there are, uh, you know, two AICP exam windows every year. And, uh, and it's my hope to have a, um, another discussion much like this next year in preparation for the, uh, the next fall window. Well, uh, I just can't thank you all enough for spending time with me at this fun virtual roundtable to talk about the ICP. Michael, thanks so much. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> Mercy, thank you so thanks, much Andy. for joining Pleasure. us all the way down south and normal. A total delight. Phil, thank you, my friend. Always good to uh, chat with you. Pleasure. Gabby, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me.
Thanks again to that wonderful group of planners for joining us here on the podcast. I hope it brought back some memories for you experienced planners out there. And for you young planners considering the exam, here's some more helpful information. The fall window for the exam in 2023 is October 1 through the 31st. The next one is the spring window from May 1 to May 30 in 2024. I encourage you to look at the AICP web pages on the APA's website at planning.org for more information on the exam. Also, the One Path to AICP program and other resources. I'd also like to mention the diversity scholarship through the APA that covers many of the costs associated with the exam. Details for that are available on the APA's website as well. I believe there are only 50 scholarships available nationally, but a good number of Illinois planners are awarded them every year. I have the pleasure of acting as the Professional Development Officer, or PDO, on the board of the Illinois APA chapter. In this capacity, I help planners of all experience levels get access to development opportunities, including the AICP exam. If you're interested in test information, study resources, or meeting other planners considering the exam, feel free to reach out at pdo at ilapa.org. There's also great information on the chapter's online forum. We'll add a link to that in the show notes, and you can also find it from the chapter's main website. As always, thanks for listening and being a part of this wonderful community of planners we have here in Illinois. Take care, and I'll talk to you next time. Only Planners in the Building is a production of the Illinois chapter of the American Planning Association, hosted by Andy Cross, AICP, and produced and edited by Phil Green, AICP. This podcast is made possible thanks to our Tier 1 sponsors, The Lakota Group and Halsey Levine. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Visit ILAPA.org for more to find out how you can help us to create great communities for all.